Hello all, welcome back to the show, the place that helps you improve your British English whilst having chats about culture, be it British culture or other ones. And today we have the big dog himself, Luke from Luke's English Podcast, back on the show to discuss his findings as he's been doing a social experiment of his own. Not sure if he was aware of it, but uh, he has indeed been running an experiment, one that has been going on for, I'd, I'd say, 10 years or so. Is that right, Luke? Yeah, it's actually 10 years this year. September. Wow, there we go. 10 years. So yes, his social experiment was to take himself, a man born and raised in England, and plonk himself in the capital of France and stay there for over a decade, or bang on, a decade. And at long last, he's ready to divulge his findings about the French and their culture to our listeners. So strap in, leave your egos at the door as well, because stereotypes are indeed stereotypes. And what I mean by that is they are generalizations that one does not assume of all individuals merely they are interesting to observe and discuss in a light-hearted way so with that preface let's unveil the virtual or auditory curtain that uh, has already been opened slightly and say hello to the man behind it mr thompson welcome back sir Hello, Charlie. Thank you for having me back. Do you feel like a big dog? The big dog? Wow. <laughs> I've never been called a big dog before, but I quite like it. It's nice to be here on the British English Podcast. Uh, how are you doing? I would say I'm fine, just to go along with it. But actually, I've got a cold. Ah. I've got a very big head cold right now. Yesterday, I had the worst of it, but it's still lingering. Ah. But yeah, I thought I would I would carry on. I'd try to tap into like the uh, the stoicism our gen- our older generations tried to instill in us but failed on my part normally or yeah yeah normally um would you feel like you've taken that on board from your grandparents before you begin i'd like to let you know that we now have an official app released for the british english podcast you can now listen to this podcast on the new app and get all of the learning resources along with it And for those of you who are just listening on your favourite podcast app, then I've got a present for you. Download the app, sign up to the course called Free Podcast Worksheets, and you will find every single episode available for you to listen to along with the free worksheet for that episode. A huge resource right there waiting for you to enjoy. So go download it right now at your app store, either by typing in BEP, BEP or the British English podcast. Links are also in the show notes. Enjoy this episode. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because I've got a daughter as well. She's four years old and she's in a very whingy stage, which is absolutely doing my head in. So if there's one little thing that's not just perfect, she goes into a full on whinge and she's just whinging and moaning. And my greatest fear is that we have a, a soft, bring her up to be soft and entitled, no, like, substance, no no grit. Yeah, no grit. Yeah. I'm, I really want her to more stoic and to be able to put up with things that she doesn't really like. So I've been thinking about that from the point of view of a parent, but also it just made me think, yeah, probably over the last 50 to 100 years that I feel like there has been a change and that people have become a bit softer and maybe a bit more self-oriented and it's a bit disappointing. I don't know if that just means I'm becoming an old fart that I think, oh, things aren't the way they used to be. You know, people were much stronger and everything was better back in the past. I'm trying not to be like that, but sometimes those thoughts do do creep in. Try to be stoic and try not to complain too much and 
and so on. Yeah, fair enough. That is interesting about your daughter and, and trying to make her a stronger, less, um, maybe less entitled younger person. I, I want that as well. I think that's a big fear for parents. Not that I'm a parent, but when I am one day, hopefully, I, I would worry about raising a spoilt child. Yeah, the, yeah. It, it oh, it infuriates me. Even when there's a little hint of it, when the spoiled child comes out in her, I'm just like, I cannot stand it. I really don't want to let her become that spoilt child. It's a, it's one of my biggest fears. When I think of it, I think I will try to deal with this like I do with other conversations with people where I just like explain my feelings, explain what I think should happen. And hopefully that will get through to them. But I, I'm looking at it as in I would be talking to a rational adult, but forgetting that it's a child that you'd have to be talking to. Is there any way to get through to a child with that? Oh, I don't know. That's the thing that's that at the worst moments you think this is completely fruitless. Like, I, there's no way I can get through to her and there's nothing I can do. And also you kind of think it's not just it's not just the parents that sort of instill values in the child, but the world around you as well and everything, all the other kids that they mix with at school and the the stuff that they watch on like the iPad at the weekend. It all yeah. sort of like all slowly creeps in and and forms who she is, and a lot of it's out of my control. So yeah, that's the worst part of it is the fear that that there's nothing you can do, and that. But then again, on the flip side, I think that generations today, or young, you know, this is becoming more and more common that people are more willing to talk about their feelings, and you know, instead of just burying your feelings and never talking about them it used to be the case that you just never talked about your feelings and that's not healthy no. you know and so like my grandfather's generation he fought in the war and he must have experienced horrific things but uh he never talked about them he just buried them completely and uh we've you know we've always thought that's a pity that he was never able to kind of sort of i don't know deal with the trauma that he must have experienced yeah and that's because of that's just social. That was the the norm at the time. But so you know, swings and roundabouts, Charlie, isn't it? You know, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the younger generation are definitely self aware or more self aware than before, and feel comfortable talking about it and feel comfortable. I, I was at a comedy gig the other day, and the the comedian started by saying, "Who's having therapy?" And uh, mm -hmm. about fifty percent of the crowd. Ray like said yeah me kind of thing yeah which is not only unusual from what I used to think of as 50% but also 50% were brave enough to say it yeah in fact I've heard that these days I've heard that you know uh, when people are dating I mean I'm far from being you know the date the world of dating these days but um, that when people are dating it's more attractive if someone is in therapy than someone who isn't that going to therapy is now supposed to be this sort of normal thing to do and that if you're not in therapy then there's something maybe a little wrong with you that you're not willing or able to you know deal with your own problems ah yeah okay so therapy yeah therapy is is now total uh, far more socially acceptable if not socially expected than it used to be brilliant fair enough which is good right surely this is good yeah i'm assuming this is good i mean you did psychology at, at university so i mean 
I suppose you believe in the value of therapy. Well, on top of being able to read everybody's mind, yes, I I believe in therapy. I remember that's that. what you learn at, uh, by studying psychology at university. It's like suddenly you you're like Darren Brown. You can you can just read everyone's mind, implant thoughts in people's brains, control exactly. whoever's around you. Mel Gibson he did a perfect job of explaining my experience in what women want. I think that was Mel Gibson. Yeah, really. It? Yeah, it was Mel Gibson. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it's funny. Whenever I mentioned I was doing psychology, they they would be like, "Oh." Stop reading my mind. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course I can. (laughs) But yeah, no, I do think it's good to talk about therapy. Quickly going back to the cold that I've got. I went to a gathering. It was an engagement party, a surprise engagement party. And the host, he's a good friend, but he had a cold. And I wonder now uh, what people's opinion of this is. I don't know if I'm an old age pensioner by assuming this, but out of the pandemic, I'm a bit more sensitive to socialising around people with a cold. If I had a cold, I would either cancel it or change the location and not be the host. What do you think? Do you think we should just carry on and it's just a cold? Yeah, I'd say it's probably just a cold. So it's fine. Just, you know. Yeah, I think we haven't quite got to the stage yet where even if you've got a cold, you've got to wear a mask and like isolate. No. Quarantine for 14 days. Uh, I would, I would say... I think it's probably okay. But it's the, with COVID, it's a bit of a grey area. I had it recently. So I had it. And then after about 10 days, I got a negative test. But there was still that feeling of like, should I, you know, should I tell people? Mm. Should I, if I'm with them? Oh, by the way, I had COVID, but I'm negative. You know, I got a negative test yesterday, just so you know. You know, it's <laughs> difficult to know what the social etiquette is around these things now. Definitely. And to let them know when it was. Like you've got to say it very quickly after I had COVID or I've got or just COVID. show them your, your vaccination certificate or let them scan your <laughs> your COVID pass. You know, it's very weird. It's an extremely weird time that yeah. we're living in, isn't it? But so you would say that my friend should have done what he did. He he should have carried on. It's a it's just a cold, Charlie. If you get the cold, man up. I think that he should have had a test to make sure it was just a cold. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. And if he was negative, then just crack on. Crack on. Okay, fair enough. I'll keep that in mind and not be so such a pansy. We can't let the cold win. <laughs> We've got to just keep calm and carry on. Yes, yes, very true, very true. So yes, that is a, a stereotype of British people to keep calm and carry on. But we're here to talk about your social experiment that you've been running for 10 years. So let's get into it. The first question I have... Yeah, I'm hoping that people will take it as a it is a bit of a joke. But do French people all wear berets and striped shirts, Luke? You know what? Before I answer that question, I need to give a sort of disclaimer or a caveat before we kick off properly, right? Good word as well. Yeah, yeah. So I need to say that first of all, I live in Paris, and Paris and France are not the same thing. And if you've got any French listeners, they will. They will probably appreciate me saying this, especially if they don't live in Paris, because I've talked about this kind of thing quite a lot on my podcast. And I always get people writing in saying, you're talking about Paris, you're not talking about France. They're not the same thing. Mm. So I am so Parisian. Kind of a cliche of Parisians is that they don't care about people or places outside of 
you know, the the peripherique, the basically the outside of Paris, that they don't care about it. I'm more per- Parisian than the Parisians because not only do I not care about them, I don't know anything about them. I don't even know that they exist because I spend all my time in Paris. I'm learning, you know. I'm, I love France and it's a beautiful place. I love all the different parts of the country. But I can really only talk about Paris, I think. So the, the things I will say will be focused on Paris. Going back to your question, French people always wear berets and striped shirts. Remember that this episode, just like every single other episode on this show, comes with a free worksheet where you get to see some of the best native expressions that come up in this very episode, along with definitions made for you, a non-native learner. I've even designed it so that you can play the podcast episode on the same page as the free worksheet. It's super user-friendly, so head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com right now and check out the free podcast worksheets or simply click on the link that says free podcast worksheets in the show notes of this episode. Did you know that we have a 45-minute long audiobook that also comes with an ebook to read along with, teaching you 10 of the most useful idioms that you can use to sound like a native-level speaker? You know, the next time that you want to impress someone, be it for a job interview or an English exam, like the IELTS test, then you can whip out one of these phrases and really wow them. We've selected these 10 because they're daily idioms. They're ones that you can use in many, many situations. So you won't be wasting your time learning a random idiom that you'll you'll never really get the chance to use. And the even better news is that we're giving this audiobook and ebook away for free. And all you need to do is find it in the show notes of this episode. Head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and find it in the homepage. Or just like the free worksheet for this episode, go to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com forward slash freebies. That is F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. I'm actually wearing a striped shirt today for this recording. The, people can't see it because it's not video, but um, I am wearing it today. So the thing about the berets, uh, no, I, I almost never see French people wearing berets. But uh, the only people I see wearing berets in Paris are tourists. And it's a very common sight. You'll see couples walking around. And it's for some reason, it's always the girl. She's wearing a beret. And you think, oh, right, you're a tourist. Probably an American tourist, because there are like little tourist shops selling souvenirs and berets. And so the girl's like, I'm going to wear a beret. And then they walk around Paris in their beret and they just look like tourists. I know one person who wears a beret, but he, he's got his own. It's not a normal thing. But the striped uh, T-shirts, yeah, quite common. Okay. because And that's good, because I think they look good. I think those striped mariniere T-shirts look cool. And so they are quite a common sight here, especially as you get towards the coast. So if you go to places like Marseille or, I don't know, somewhere like La Rochelle or uh, Brittany as well, uh, Normandy, you know, uh, places near the coast, then you see them because they're, they're associated with the coast, with the seaside. Yeah, nautical kind of fashion. Yeah. Right? Sailing. Yeah, it's cool. I think, it's, I think they look great, the, the stripy t-shirts. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So no beret, but they do sometimes wear a striped shirt. Yeah. Again, focusing mainly on your experience in Paris. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. We've got loads of questions. So we're going to go quickly through this first little bit. Mm -hmm. The French all have poodles. Poodles, those dogs that we see 
sort of in American movies and stuff set in if they're set in Paris. No, I can't remember the last time I saw a poodle in Paris. But having said that, small dogs are definitely a thing here. So there are lots of small dogs, but um, not uh, poodles. Poodles are actually quite large, really. Yes. They can be quite large dogs. Miniature poodle, is that a thing? Toy poodle. Yeah. Or miniature poodle, yeah. Any small dog, really, is quite common. There are there are plenty. Pugs, what are, what are other ones? Pomeranians. The French um, bulldog, I assume? French bulldog, I suppose so. Bulldogs, certainly. I'm not sure what's the difference between a bulldog and a French bulldog. Slightly smaller, with pointier ears. I think they're really cute. British bulldog is the chunkier, more aggressive-looking one that sells insurance. Oh, yeah, French bulldogs. Yeah, 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 definitely. Very common here. Small dogs, yes, but poodles, not really. Good. Okay, there we go. French people can't or won't speak English. This is a good one, and this is a very common assumption that the French people are all arrogant, and they're like, no, I speak English, but I will not. You know, that they don't, (laughs) they refuse to speak English. A lot of people do speak English here in Paris, uh, Mm. but French comes first, you know, because we're in France. So naturally, French comes first. Rather than being arrogant about English, I find that French people are more shy about English and they're embarrassed about their English a lot more. Ah. They are actually a little bit shy about using English. So if you go in and just start speaking English, they might not be that up for it at the beginning. But this is changing. And these days I find that people are quite willing to speak English and more and more people do. But it depends. It's a strange sort of social interaction that you have. So the way it works is that you have to start in French. Right. Okay. If you start in English, then they will just speak French to you. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, you're in France. Yeah. So you have to start in French. You've got to make an effort to speak some French. And then they will basically, in their head, they'll go, oh, I see that your French is terrible. Let's do this in English. But at least you made an effort. It's just polite to make an effort. Also, um, something vital about life here is that you have to start every interaction by saying bonjour or bonsoir. Uh You have to do that first. It's just basic politeness. That's actually later on in the question saying, do do they always say hello to each other regardless of the scenario so yeah it's it's like a password that you have to enter before you interact <laughs> with a french person if you don't then it's like you know when you try and enter your google password and it goes uh, or your apple password on your computer and it just goes uh, 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 nah, c'est pas possible. you know it's just not possible so you have you're likely to rub people up the wrong way you will come across as rude yeah without realizing it and then they might be a bit rude to you and then you will go away thinking, oh, French people are so rude. But you don't realise that you you started it by not using the right codes. And that's probably why this is on the list, this question, because English people come over and don't use this code and then, you know, receive that treatment and then think, oh, the French are mean. But really, we started it. Yeah, but also they can be a bit mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. okay. I did actually hear when I was living in, in Germany, uh, I had a couple of French friends and they didn't really want to spend time together. And it was something to do with, I can't remember if it was about their French or their English, but they they, they felt like they would be judged by one another. Oh, and yeah. They, yeah? Is there, is there something to that? French people judge each other all the time. It's really... It's a pity, really. But yeah, French people are very judgmental of each other, which is fascinating. I still can't quite work out why. Uh, but yeah, very much so. And so, yeah, my wife is French. And when we go on holiday, 
if we go somewhere else, like, you know, if we go to the States or, or something, if she he- overhears other French people, she'd be like, Ugh, French people. She can't stand, like, mixing with other French people. I don't know why, really. And whereas if I hear uh, British people, I'm like, oh, Brits, you know, all right, mate. Um, whereas she's just like, she cannot stand bumping into other French people. She, she, she just can't stand it. So that's interesting. I don't really know why, but yeah, French people will judge each other. And this is the thing about learning English here, which is one of the reasons why it's difficult for French people to learn English because they, they can't win really. You can't win. So either as a, a French person, if you are a French person, either if you speak good English, right, other people will go, oh, look at him. He thinks he's brilliant with his good English. And if you speak bad English, they'll be like, oh, his English is shit. So <laughs> you can't win if you're French and you're learning English. That's why maybe your French friends didn't really want to see each other see. Uh, because they would lock into this kind of French way of behaving together and they would feel uncomfortable speaking English in each other's presence because they they, they, they judge each other. And it maybe it comes from school. They're very harsh at school. And does that... Yeah, the teachers are very strict. Do you think that could tie into feeling shy about using their skills, their English maybe, because they feel like they're being judged? Absolutely. I mean, I used to teach at university here. So I had classes of like 25, 18-year-olds. Like, it was really tricky to get them to just speak. It, it would, they would lock into this traditional thing where I spoke and they just sat there listening and taking notes. And if, you know, I'm not used to that as a TEFL teacher, you know, it's all about engaging the room and, and reducing teacher talking time. But they, it was just like too much for them. And they, they judged each other's English more than I judged their English. And I was like assessing them literally uh-huh. as part of their university degree. So, so it's very hard. It's a pity because it means that they get blocked and they don't get to really own their English. And it's changing, though. It is changing. Good. Yeah. Okay. All right. The next one is, do French people smoke like chimneys? Again, I don't know about French, but in Paris, yeah, lots Paris. of people smoke. Smoking is like a, it's a big thing. <laughs> Lots, just a lot of cigarettes get smoked. Yeah. Uh, you see loads of people smoking, sitting on the terrasse which is like the sort of the space in front of a cafe in the street, loads of smoking. And uh, apparently cigarette butts are a problem because they, they get washed down the drain and then they get, they clog up the, the sewers. Yeah. And it's a huge issue. There's just like millions of cigarette butts. Yeah. I think Parisians do smoke a lot. Wow. Okay. And it's still not changed in the last couple of decades. I'm sure it's less than it used to be. As generally, you know, fewer and fewer people smoke. But I'm. It's surprising how many people smoke here. I'll just like look around, and people are just walking down the street. They've got a fag on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, lots of smoking. Yeah. Okay. What would you What would you guess about British people nowadays? Do you think it's it's probably still quite common? I think we talk about these differences between Britain and France. In many cases, they are little differences. Like that's that speech from Pulp Fiction. That scene where. John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. John Travolta's just come back from Europe and he's going, you know, the thing about Europe, it's the little differences. <laughs> okay. So it's often it's little things. So, you know, British people, if you go to London, you probably see a lot of people smoking there too, but it's just a bit less than in Paris. It's just a bit more noticeable here. So Brits probably you st- still see quite a lot of smoking, but I think it's it's less. It's certainly a lot less than it used to be. Okay. I noticed in America, it was, it, it was like a dirty habit now. Yes. It, it has been for a bit of time and when i went to germany there were adverts billboards promoting smoking and i was really shocked by that i was like whoa 
feel like I'm in the eighties. Yeah. But yeah. Was, yeah, you don't, you don't, I don't see adverts for cigarettes. So those, I guess those things have been banned. Okay. And all that stuff. You'd never see it advertised. Uh, cigarette packets now are covered in warnings and horrible pictures and stuff like that. Um, so I guess they don't need to promote it here, Charlie, because, you know, everyone's already quite committed to, to doing it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, obviously it's, it's, it's seen as a big public, public health issue. It's, it's done less than it used to be, but it's still surprisingly common. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to throw a few in at once here and let you decide where you want to go with this. Okay. So French people drink a lot of wine, eat a lot of cheese and eat uh, a lot of baguettes. Yeah, definitely. All true. Yeah. I don't really need to say that much more. The wine is obvious. You know, it's like a huge thing here. Um, French wine is maybe the, it's it's, got to be the best wine in the world. Uh, And there's a big culture of it. So yeah, of course people drink tons of uh, wine, uh, you know, red, white, rosé, champagne, the baguette. Absolutely. Yeah. Every day you go to the boulangerie and you buy your your bread. It's baguettes, but there are different types of bread as well. But the baguette, yeah, very, very, very common. And cheese, same, same thing. Yeah. It's, it's, which is great. And the other things are like charcuterie, you know, meats, like ham, basically, different types of ham, dried ham, smoked ham, Okay, yeah. I want to just test without saying it to see how you say it to a British person. Um, what's the chocolate pastry that we sometimes get in a bakery? Our oh, uh, pano pano chocolat. Okay, so you have a little bit of a, an accent on the end, but you don't go full French. I don't know if I'm if I'm in a boulangerie and but I'm talking buying to me, one. Talking to an English person. Talking to an English person. Pano chocolat. I, I yeah. I can't, it's difficult for me to change to say pano chocolate or something. I don't know. What would you say? I think I, what did I say? Um, pano chocolat. Yeah, I say pano chocolat. Chocolat. So, chocol- pano chocolat. Chocolat. So, yeah, I'm still the chocolat rather than choco- chocolat. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a slight difference. Yeah. yeah but yeah, okay. having lived here for 10 years now, I've, you know, <laughs> that is one of the, one of the bits of French that I've, I've, well, I wouldn't say I've mastered it. I'm sure that I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but that's one of the things I can now confidently say. Uh, une tradition et un pain au chocolat, s'il vous plaît. I can pretty much do that now. But so I'm not going to give that up now, Charlie. No, good. Charlie, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And uh, what about the plain one? What, how do you say that word? Uh, une croissant. Okay, and croissant. to a British person, I don't know, maybe a, a croissant. Ah, okay. So you would change it back. Do you want a croissant? Do you want a croissant? Do you want a croissant? I don't know how I would say it really. I think I'd probably be pretentious and say, uh, "Would you like une croissant?" Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a thing in the UK. If you say words with a French, a proper French accent, then you come across as really pretentious and, and annoying. Yeah. I was at a wedding in February in England and uh, the best man came up to me and he said, Charlie, it's fantastic to see you again. The last time I saw you, we were in Mendoza in Argentina, right? And uh, the best memory I have of you was when we went to that club. But you, proper pretentious then, you were saying you were living in Chile. Chile. And I was just thinking, I did probably say I lived in Chile. Chile, Chile, Chile. I can't remember how I pronounced it, but still, British people are very sensitive to attempting a different accent, aren't they? 
if I said, oh yeah, you know, these days I live in Paris, <laughs> then everyone's going to think, oh, you, you pretentious twat. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't it? That, but especially with French, when you, yes. when you're just talking and suddenly you, you say a certain word with a French accent, then you're just going to be marked as pretentious. I think we do associate the French accent and French language as quite cultured, don't we? So it's yeah. like trying to go up a level. I mean, really. I don't want to do this thing, which is called French bashing. So this this is actually a thing. Ah. I've never heard of German bashing, really, or Spanish bashing or Italian bashing. French bashing is a, is a thing. And this basically means criticizing the French right. or having a go at the French. I don't really want to do that. But you know what? French people criticize themselves all the time. The, the point I'm making is that uh, French people can be quite pretentious. Yeah. French people are pretty pretentious. Okay. Where they, some, not everyone, but you do get certain people who will sort of talk in a way where they're sort of intellectualizing about something without any sense of irony or without any sense of self deprecation. They will just sort of be giving their opinion. Uh, obviously, uh, Charlie, uh, with your podcast, uh, you are, you know, like whatever it is. I can't think of a good example, but <laughs> that was an outrageous French impression I did then. You know, there's quite a lot of pretentious pretentiousness here. It's true. To defend them, I suppose, because there is a lot of culture in like high culture or the arts and everything. Yes. It's going to be seeming that way for a country that is less involved in, in the arts, I guess. A certain kind of intellectualism mm. and a kind of academic intellectualism. Just a lot of talking. There's a hell of a lot of talking that goes on. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. Maybe one of the differences between our countries and our cultures is that the UK is quite a pragmatic place. We like to focus on sort of getting things done, right? Whereas in France... It's a sort of romantic culture. I don't know how that translate, how that makes people just talk. But so take a business meeting, for example. What happens at a business meeting in the UK is that there'll they'll be 10 minutes of small talk about whatever. And then it's like, right, let's crack on. Let's get down to it. Let's get down to business. And then you just focus on the task at hand. And it's all about, you know, trying to get the job done. Whereas in France, like everyone has to have their say. You've got to go around and everyone's got to give their opinion. And there's just lots of opinions flying around and nothing gets done. And then the meet, you know, you run out of time and then, you know, it's just like these things drag on and on and on. And um, it's, it's like a different feeling uh, where it's, there's a, you have to let people give their opinions and have their say. And that in some ways is more important than let's just get the thing done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. No, well, I, yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting to hear. By the way, I'm no expert on this stuff. I mean, I, I go around my living my life observing Parisians and not understanding what the hell's going on a lot of the time. <laughs> so your data collection isn't flawless. Oh no, no, I, I'm I'm lost a lot of the time. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? I don't understand what's happening. Why do they, you know? And sometimes it's just a feeling, like it's just I don't know what it is. Indescribable thing but yes there is certainly something different and i often feel like a fish out of water but i don't really know why right okay nice phrase though i'll do my best yeah, for yeah. you yeah okay great thank you we're actually going to go on to part two in a second but uh we're gonna end with hopefully a a positive 
stereotype, French men are the most romantic people in the world. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, I don't know, you know, Charlie, because I don't have I don't have that much direct experience <laughs> in that regard. Uh, obviously, but I would say that probably again going back to that pragmatic romantic thing, I think that probably French people are more classically romantic than us. French men are more romantic than than Brits because we are a little sort of rubbish, aren't we, in that regard? And we don't romance doesn't come naturally to us. We're a bit awkward and a bit sort of just crap when it comes to being romantic. And it's something my wife has had to kind of learn to to, to accept. <laughs> uh, that it's not my strong point, oh. whereas the French men, yeah, obviously they're you know they're a lot more romantic and and the rest of it seems to come naturally to them. But then at the same time, I've heard that French men can be pretty. Female friends of mine have noted that just walking down the street, you get catcalled like way more than in America or the UK. That it's odd, like people in the street are kind of like will bother women a bit more. So although it's on one hand rom more romantic, on the other hand, it's also a bit too much sometimes. Uh, okay, yeah. I heard a Jerry Seinfeld quote uh, about how that's kind of like our last resort, honking the horn. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the man who's kind of failed on every other attempt and this is his only resort. He, he's thinking, if I honk this horn, maybe she'll turn around and get in the car with me. Yeah, but what I know that routine, that Seinfeld routine, where they're like, what is that? Like honking the horn and they're just driving away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And the woman's like, wait, I didn't know how you felt. Come back. <laughs> yes. Why don't they? Uh, uh, just, see ya. Like, what? what's the logic? I don't know. Yeah, very nice. But here okay. it's kind of like, mademoiselle, mademoiselle, prendre un café avec moi. Mademoiselle, mademoiselle. But that, that shows confidence. You, you mentioned before about the danger of stereotyping and saying that all people do this. Obviously, France is a very diverse place and there are many different types of people. So it's not like all French men will uh, catcall women in the street. Not Certainly not. Uh, I guess it's a certain type of guy who would do that. Yeah, and that's the 1% that's the perhaps that you occasionally see and that's what you're reporting on from your 10 right. years of experience, perhaps. Yeah. Last one before we go on to part two. Gourmet meals. Do the French always need to have a gourmet meal or are they satisfied with a, a staple? It's a bit of both, really. So there's certainly a, the the uh, the culture of the, um, what do you call it, gastronomic food is a, certainly a thing here. And again, we go to the pretentiousness of the gastronomic restaurant where it's like a few tiny little blobs of something on a plate and then some spots and stripes. And it's just like, okay. But then so there's a lot of restaurants like that. But then there are loads of places where you can get just really good rustic uh, food. Maybe French people appreciate the staple rustic French food a bit more than the gastronomic food. But it's a bit of both. And yeah. it's all pretty good quality as well. Yeah. But yeah, French people will just like a, a platter of cheese and ham or whatever whatever it is. There are certain sort of rustic uh, meals which are very common. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of both. But they, they certainly value food a lot. And that's a very important part of their culture, whether it's the gastronomic stuff or the more sort of, uh, you know, rural and rustic stuff. Okay, nice. And do you feel like you've become more of a foodie since you lived in France, in Paris? Perhaps I have. I think the the culture is that when you eat the food, you, you talk about it and you comment on it and you critique it. I do that with my wife when we eat. Okay. And maybe I've become a little, my, my standards have become a bit higher. 
Okay. Probably. So uh, the French have helped you out in in terms of creating a, a a more diverse palette or more mature palette, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. But you say that, but then French people, in some way, have got a very narrow palette. Oh. Where it's like anything, like they they will love their French food, and then when you step outside of that, it's like, woo! I'm in, I'm in a new, dangerous new world. And they can be quite conservative about their their eating habits. For example, you cannot get a decent curry in this country. It's just impossible. And that's interesting get. considering you're so close. Like, yeah. it's just a channel. It's just like a, a two-hour Eurostar train. Yeah. But curry has no dominion here. It's spicy food, but it's not just spi- the spiciness. It's like the different range of curries. So here in France, curry is just one thing. And it's like this weird yellow sauce. Oh. But, um, I mean, you get curry houses and stuff, but they've been sort of neutered, uh. right? Uh, like the when I, when I go to a, a, uh, an Indian restaurant here and I'll say I'll have the, whatever it is, chicken jalfrezi. Or jalfrezi is a bad example because it's already quite spicy. But if I say I'll have a, whatever it is, it's a chicken curry standard. And I'll say, can, can you make it quite hot, please? And they'll be like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, 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 it's fine. And they still don't. Because right. in their experience, the vast majority of their customers cannot handle even a hint of spice. Right. It's like, ah, il peak, il peak. Like, uh, it's too hot. Uh, yeah, so they can't take spicy food at all. So let's see. No berets, in your opinion, but some striped shirts, especially towards yeah. the coast. Uh, yeah. No big poodles necessarily, or not many, but more French poodles and smaller dogs. Yeah. Um, hesitant to speak French, but for many reasons, English. quite deep. Uh, sorry, speak English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be a mute world. Smoke quite a lot still. In Paris, yeah. Yeah. Eat a lot of baguettes, wine, drink wine, eat cheese. And um, and what was the other one? The, the most romantic people in the world, the Frenchmen, potentially, well, but there's a, there's a downside to it as well. Don't forget the Italians. The, the Italians mm. are the only people who are more French than the French. Oh, okay. You know, you know that character Pepe Le Pew. Do you remember him? It rings from a bell. The, I guess but... it's Warner Brothers cartoons. I think so. You know the Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and stuff like that. Yeah. There's one character who is a skunk, right, with a white stripe down his back, and he's chasing after a cat. This cat is walking through a building site, and some paint uh, lands on its back, a stripe of paint down his back. So the skunk thinks this is a female skunk, and he he's French, and he's following her everywhere and constantly trying to you know uh chat her up right and being very very french i mean we see pepe le bleu as like the epitome of the romantic french man who is constantly trying to woo this woman and bothering her essentially harassing her <laughs> really <laughs> everywhere in the world that ca- that skunk is french but in france he's italian Okay, that's a really good measure. So they see the Italians as more romantic. Even more French than the French. So almost like everything you can say about... A lot of the stereotypes about the French are also true of of other countries, like the Italians, for example. I don't know, it's all a bit of a, a mystery, but interesting. There we go. Well, we're going to go on to the French values compass in part three, which is talking about their uh, their most associated value, which would be interesting to hear whether you think that is true based on a book by Dr. Mandeep Rai. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening to part one, guys. If that's all you were 
wanting to listen to, then we will see you next week. But of course, head over to Luke's podcast if you haven't already on Luke's English podcast. You can Google it or click on the link in the app that you're listening to this show on. But yeah, thank you very much, Luke. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Charlie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Wonderful. I'll see you in part two. We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the thebritishenglishpodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast. <laughs>